Well, we're going to, like I said earlier, we're going to take a peek at it uh, and go back to Hebrews 4. So now that uh, the holidays are over, we go back to our, our uh, regularly scheduled program. Amen. One of the things that I want to remind you about uh, in Hebrews is that uh, there's a group of Christians who uh, come from uh, Judaism. They come from a uh, long tradition. You can imagine um, having to change a lot of the way that you think because the old covenant uh, has been replaced by the new covenant. And so um, that's got to be something uh, somewhat difficult to kind of have to rearrange your thinking a little bit. But remember that throughout this book up to this point that the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is pointing out how Jesus is superior in every way to the old uh, covenant that God had with the, with the Jews. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Aaron, which was a high priest. All of these things in the Old Testament were uh, like shadows of Christ. They were like figures of what Christ would be, but greater. So he's superior. So what we're going to look at from this section on for a while, in the next couple of chapters, is that we have, uh, if we don't mind moving, let's see, we can move the slide here probably. I can probably do it. There. We have a great high priest. A priest. Priest is a man who uh, represented uh, both parties, if you would. Uh, God the Father and man, who unfortunately finds itself in, in sinful condition, in a fallen state. Uh, and the relationship had been broken, so there had to be someone in between. A mediator or advocate. So that's, that's the idea of a high priest. But he served specifically in the relationship that man would have with God and that God would have with man in the things related to the spiritual life, to our spiritual life. Amen? So let's look at, we're going to read, uh, I'll just read the, uh, the, uh, some verses that you'll see here. If, if you have uh, a Bible or uh, using a a device, uh, you can follow me too, but we're going to have it on the screen. So this is what the scriptures say, and um, let's, let's stand as we, we read it. I've always been captivated by this, this little section that we're going to read first. We are going to go into chapter 5, but I want to finish chapter 4, because this is where, as I mentioned a moment ago, that the author of Hebrews introduces us to the idea of the, the great high priest. It says this. Matter of fact, in my Bible, it says Jesus, the great high priest, is the subtitle. And it says at verse 14 of Hebrews 4, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. We could easily say tested. He's been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near 
to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I'm going to go ahead and move it to the next verse. That's where we at, right? No, let's go down. Now, verse 1 of chapter 5. I'm just going to continue. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ. Now notice the author, he's going to compare. He's going to use Aaron and the priesthood of the Old Testament, and then he's going to introduce us to the role that Jesus has. So also Christ, verse 5. Go to the next slide. So also Christ, as it says there, did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to, whom, uh, to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And let's just pray for the sermon. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you, Lord, for uh, everyone that's here this morning. We ask for uh, your blessing, and, and especially, Lord, we ask for... Uh, that, that ability to hear what you have to say to us and, and, and the help of the Holy Spirit to understand and so that we can take what we learn and we can apply it to our lives. We can practice and put our confidence and our trust in you and in all the things that you are doing for us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat, you guys. So, going back, I'm going to leave this... Right there. Okay. Why are we here? What are we doing? Hi, Yolanda. Good morning. Well, we're here because the Bible tells us that faith, our ability to, to react, our ability to, to act in a way that's pleasing to God comes from hearing the Word of God. Oh, I, this year, I really want to make it, uh, a, a, in my, on my part as pastor, a, um, a special effort to, to move us into understanding that what we hear and what we're reading from God's Word matters in our lives as, as Christians. Because from what we hear from God's Word is going to move us, it's going to direct us. Uh, down the right path. So, just as the high priests in, in the Old Testament 
would pass through three different areas once a year during the Day of Atonement. They would have to go through uh, the outer court. So when you look at the temple, the, the high priest, and he was the only man that could do this, and it was once a year, and they, the, 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 the Israel and, and uh, the, the priests, uh, starting with Aaron, which was Moses' brother, he was chosen by God. We'll see that in more a little bit in a moment. He would go through the outer court, so it was kind of like a patio, and then he would go into this place called the holy place. And then fewer people were allowed there. And then he would go into the, what was called the most holy place or the holiest of places. And he was the only one allowed to go in once a year with uh, uh, atonement, which would be he would take a blood of an animal that had been sacrificed that would be offered on, be, on behalf of all of Israel. Now... <laughs> It was a serious business. They would tie a rope to his ankle because if the wrong offering came, it had to be a lamb without blemish, perfect lamb, then the priest would be struck dead. So they couldn't go in to get him. So they had to pull him out from the rope. And the, re and the way they knew that he had died was that he had bells on his robes. And as long as they heard the bells, he was active in their doing priest, his priestly duties, as Nacho Libre said once in a movie. Right? He was doing his priestly duties, and the bells were ringing, and everybody was aware that God was accepting the offering. And the priest would do it once a year. And every year, after year, after year. And the bells, if they weren't heard again, if that offering wasn't accepted, it wasn't a good, really bad news. They, the, the high priest would, would be struck dead right then and there because this is holy stuff. This is serious stuff for God. Sin is ugly in the sight of God. He's holy. He's just. So the way the, the children of Israel could receive atonement or forgiveness and thus, a relationship with God was through these sacrifices. And what the author of Hebrews is going to show us now is Jesus did the same thing when he went to Calvary's cross once for all. His offering, his death, his sacrifice was accepted once for all. So Jesus, after he offered himself and went into the grave, he would then resurrect as we preach, right? The resurrection from the dead. We sang about it today. He, he gives us life. Then he passed through the heavens. Like the priest passed through the outer court and then the holy place and then the holiest of places. Three different areas. Jesus passed through the heavens. By the way, Paul mentions uh, something about that there was a third heaven that he had been caught up into in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. And he would go on to say, whether in the body or all the body, I do not know. So the third heaven just leads us to understand that not only did he pass through our atmosphere as he was caught up, remember in the book of Acts, he was 
ascended into heaven and they saw him in the clouds. He went through the, the, through the stellar heavens and he went into wherever God abodes or wherever God lives, heaven. So Jesus victoriously went into the heavens and it says in the book of Hebrews that he sat down at the right hand of the Father and he's ever making intercession for us as our great high priest. So what, what's he doing right now? What someone might ask, well, what is, what's Jesus doing at the moment? What's his role? What's, what's his, uh, his, his task right now? He's serving as a great high priest at the moment, interceding for us. So he's ministering for our sakes at the moment. So what we have is a living Savior that represents us as a mediator before God the Father. That should really encourage us. Number one, and we'll see in a minute, that there is actually someone there for us, like a lawyer in the courts of heaven. And this should allow us, as we read up here, since, it's like saying, because of the fact that we have this great high priest who has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. In other words, he rose from the dead victorious, he ascended into heaven, and he went into the throne room. By the way, the place is called the throne of grace. Wow. When we think of a throne room, we think of a mighty king there. That it's unapproachable. The opposite is true of our king. Because of our great high priest, we have access. And we can go with confidence into this throne room of grace where he sits victoriously. He is not defeated. We don't come to him and we ask him of something and he's going to say, well, let me see if I can do something about it. I mean, after all, what you're asking is pretty difficult. Oh my. Oh my, oh me. I think your problems are going to cause me to fall off my throne. You guys hear what I'm saying? Your problems, your petitions, your supplications, your prayers, your needs are not going to cause the Lord to fall off His throne. Better yet, He's alive and He's a conquering King. And He's telling us that we can come to Him confidently. We have access really don't need to preach anymore today. If you get that part, you got the message. So we should be really praying and always going to Christ about everything in our lives wherever there's an opportunity or a need. And it goes on to say that because of, the, and since we have this great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our, our confession Let's hold tightly to what we confess. What do we confess? That Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. That Jesus Christ is alive. That Jesus Christ rules sovereignly the universe. So let's hold fast to that which we profess. Right? Why? Because he's passed into the heavens and he's a great high priest. He's not there for him, himself. He's there for us. Should be 
the most encouraging thing we could ever start the year off with. He can sympathize for us. What's it say next? It says, for we do not have a high priest. So this is not who he is. He's not one who is unable to sympathize or unable to have compassion with our weaknesses, with our infirmities. He's quite the opposite. He is one that knows how we feel and what we're experiencing. Why? Because it says, and we figure and keep reading, but we, in every respect, think about this for a minute, in every way, the Lord knows what you're going through. In every way, the Lord understands your plight and your condition, and your situation, and your circumstances. There isn't anything that you are going to go through, have been through, will be through, that he doesn't understand because he went through it himself as the man, Jesus of Nazareth. That's crazy. That God himself would experience that on our behalf so that when we go to him, when we go to Him, He is truly the only one that can say, I get it. Or, when we go to Christ, He's the only one that can say, I get you. That's encouraging. Okay? We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands what we're going through. And he went through it himself. He experienced that himself. He was tempted. Right? Yet, it says, he was without sin. So when we fall into trials and difficulties and temptations, we fall. We fail. We falter. We're weak. But he never was. He was faithful and obedient his whole life to his father. But we can know that he, was, he genuinely went through what we've been through. We can say of Jesus and know that he's been there, done that. You know, those little cliches we like to say. Been there, done that. No, you haven't. You know, especially when someone's telling us about their pities and their, their woes and their issues in, of life. And, you know, we want to be good friends. And we're saying, oh, been there, done that. Quack, you have not. He has. He has experienced everything that we would ever experience in this life. And we can go to him and we can say it to him in simple terms. Hey, and I've said this before, if it's the big toe on the right foot that's bothering you, I know it seems silly, but say, Lord, it's the big toe on the right foot. It hurts. And he goes, I know about that. Because he suffered on the cross and prior in his passion before the cross. What he went through is unimaginable. So we can approach someone that actually can tell us, I know. Right? IKR. He could text us back when we text him. IKR. I know, right? Really? (laughs) 
That's what he's trying to tell us. What does this make me want to do? It makes me want to do what verse 16 says. This knowledge. What is this understanding of who Jesus is and his role as our great high priest, as our advocate? What, does, what should this drive me to do? What should this motivate me to do? How should I respond? Well, it says here then in verse 16, let us, speaking to the church, th- this is the response. This is the part that applies to us. We have this knowledge of him and who he is and how he knows what we're going through because he went through it himself and he's approachable, right? We have access and the freedom to go to him confidently and we can have this boldness to know that he'll receive us and says, so let us then what? With confidence, draw near. Let's, let's draw near. Let's get near him. Solution to our, the issues of our life are nearing ourselves to Christ. Never separating ourselves from Christ. Distancing ourselves from Christ. That's never the solution. That's always going to multiply the issue. The further you get from him, the worse things get. The darker things get. The more confusing things get. The more chaotic things get. The further you distance because you're moving in away from him. And he's the light and he's life. Right? So it goes here to say here, let us, this is what, then what do we do? And someone will say, okay, Pastor, uh, then, you know, thanks for all that stuff you just told us. It's really cool, like how you told us about the high priest in the Old Testament, man. You must have studied. Cool. You must have, like, spent a little bit of time reading about this stuff because that's real cool information. I'm not here to give you information. I'm not here to fill your mind with more facts. I'm here to tell you about a person and what he's doing right now in heaven. He's ever interceding on our behalf and he's compassionate and he cares about you. He loves you. It is easier to talk to someone that's kind of been through what you've been through. You know, they don't judge you. You know, when you go and you tell them, hey man, I can't believe what I did. And he goes, hey, been there, done that. Like, it, it is easier to, to have a relationship with someone in spite of putting you down or criticizing you or, or judging you. They, they come and they give you an embrace and they say, like my students would say, I feel you. That's what this is about. This should make us want to draw nearer. Not away from him, but toward him. And it says that we can draw near to the throne of grace. Wow, of any way to describe a throne of grace would be the last thing in my mind if we think of the kings of this world. You could even go in there without permission. You could not approach, and Esther would be an example. She couldn't even go see her own husband. At least she, she, he was her husband, but she also, he also was her king. And so in that particular place and time, when she goes into his court, she couldn't go in without permission, not even the wife. That's how um, inaccessible kings were, the kings of this world. Unless you had an invitation, you don't come in. But now he's making... An invitation to all of us to go in confidently and freely and consistently to his, into his presence. And his throne is a throne of grace. It's a throne where we find unmerited favor. 
You don't approach because you deserve it. You don't come to Him because you're good. You come to Him because He's good. The difference. You don't come to Him based on your merits. You come to Him based on His merits. What He did for you, not what you do for Him. So you can remove that from your mind immediately. Yes, we don't deserve to come, but He's inviting us to come, and He's telling us to do so confidently, and we're approaching and, and to draw near to Him, and we're approaching a throne of grace. And what do we find there? What do we receive there? It says that we may receive mercy and find grace. He repeats, what do you find at the throne of grace? Grace. What do you find at the throne of grace? Mercy. See, mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you don't deserve. You approach the throne of grace and the most incredible thing happens there. You don't get what you deserve and that is rightfully to be found guilty before God as a sinner. You don't, you don't find him condemning you because he already took the condemnation for you. So you find mercy. So you don't get what you deserve and then you get what you don't deserve which is his love and his compassion and his grace and his favor. Oh, it's too good to be true. This is just too good to be true. Come on now, Pastor. I don't know. You will not find a God described this way in any other religion of this world. It doesn't exist. Any other, and I lived in Turkey and lived among Muslims, and not to knock Muslims, but I'm going to say this. Theirs is a system of merit. And they never know if they're actually saved. That's why they do some of the atrocities they do, because they're lied to and said that if you martyr yourself, you just earn your way into heaven. If you kill the enemy, whoever that might be, so those systems are based on works. But you never really know. I've I had a colleague at work, 25 years we worked together, Never could get him to change on the idea that you couldn't earn your way into God's favor. But he would say, yeah, you're right, I have no guarantee. We have a guarantee. The guarantee is the resurrection. God accepted what Jesus did on our behalf. And what he did on our behalf is he saved us. And if we put our trust and faith in what he did for us on Calvary's cross, we're saved no matter who we are or where we come from. Or what we've done. Because he took care of it. That's why we can go confidently and draw near to the throne of grace. Because he already took care of the issue of sin at the cross. He already proved that he was victorious when he rose. Justifying who he is and what he did for us. And he's already risen into and ascended into heaven. And he's sitting at the throne of grace. That's what Jesus is doing right now. He's there waiting for you to talk to him. With whatever need you have. Look how it ends. See, this part at the end is always just like grab my heart and I just can't seem to grasp it. But I, I try my hardest to, to do these things. That we might find what? In the time of what? Well, we might find help. Can't find help if you don't know you need it. 
If you don't know you need it, you won't approach. You won't find a way there. You know what? Most of my prayers, how they start, very simple. The Lord help me. That's it. Sometimes there's nothing else to say. Lord help me. Find grace to what? We, we, we receive, when we go that to the throne of grace, uh, that we might receive mercy and find grace to do what? To help. To help in the time of need. Do you have needs? Everybody does. If we were all to share without any barriers wide open heart today and just take the next 15-20 minutes to share all our needs most of us would be crying by the end of the 15 minutes our needs are great especially in the days that we're living I hope you understand how much God how much Jesus wants you to approach him and to lay it at his feet. If there's anything I could say more, I wish I knew how to bring this verse and these verses to life in your life. This throne of grace, this mercy and grace that we find there make all the difference in our lives. It changes and transforms us in ways that we can't even begin to imagine because we have access to Him. We don't come reluctantly then. We come boldly. We don't go there every now and then. We come continually. We don't hesitate to approach Him as of though we need some kind of appointment or a reservation, but we come without reservation. We come freely. We don't need to pay anything. There's no ticket. There's no barcode that you have on your phone that allows you entrance. You get to go in freely because Jesus already paid the price for our access. And here's the thing that I would say to you once before, and so I can move on to the next chapter, is that discouraging us from this access is the number one strategy of Satan. He wants you to believe and to consider that Jesus is unapproachable. And thus, by being unapproachable, he encourages you not to approach him which would be the thing you shouldn't do. Or he would have you approach him using some other name or some other means. No, you can just walk in like a son walks in on their parents into their bedroom unannounced sometimes. They still have free access. Hey, Mom. Hey, Dad. I'm here. 
No, okay. Come on in. What do you want? Not like that in God's sense, but in the real life, that's how it is. So remember that grace never ignores God's just uh, or God's justice, but because He suffered the just punishment for our sake at Calvary's cross, the cross itself allows us into the throne of grace. You say, I don't deserve it. Yeah, you're right. But he already took the penalty. Well, I'm not good enough. You're right, but he's good enough. Do you see how that can be a way that Satan tricks you and deceives you into believing that you can approach? That's how, see how you believing you don't have access could be the best strategy he could ever have because when you're distanced from him, then he's got you. When you're far from him, then he's got you. Then, the next verses come into play. Let's look at them. It says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men. So he's speaking now about Aaron in the Old Testament. Moses' brother when they established the priesthood. In the desert, when the children of Israel had come out of Egypt. I have to give you a little history. He picked Aaron. God picked who the high priest would be. You can't appoint yourself. He was chosen, or God elects that person. But the point is that it's going to be more important for us to realize that God chose his son, that God elected his son to be our representative. What does this high priest do? It says right there, he's appointed on to act on our behalf. I don't know, this is a small sample, but I'm a resource specialist at work. I work with mild, moderate, learning disabled kids who need interventions and they need help, and, uh, modifications sometimes, accommodations, whatever it is, with their teachers and, and within the system, even within the curriculum. Our, my job is to design a program for them and then to implement it with the teachers. So sometimes the kids, they fail the test and they're like, oh my God, I failed, what am I going to do now? And they don't want to talk to the teacher because they're probably thinking, they're not going to let me retest so I can get a better grade. And so guess who they come to? Their mediator. Guess who it is? Me. I go, don't you worry about a thing. You'll be taking the test later today. And I walk in or I email and I say, could you please send me the re or the test for Johnny? I noticed that he got a 35%. And he'll need to remediate and retake it so that we can improve his grade. Thank you very much. Yours truly, the hammer. Oh, I'm sorry. No, not the hammer. The mediator. And guess what happens sometimes? They say no. I go, oh. Well, let me ask you this. What did you do or how did you help the student based on his 
Individualized Education Plan, IEP. How did you help them? And did you document it? No. Well, let me ask you this. How will you explain it to the judge when the parents sue us because we didn't implement these strategies? Oh, yeah, I'll be sending a test to you real soon. Thank you very much. Jesus loves you. Not really. I don't say that part. What am I trying to show you? I acted as on behalf of the student. Correct? Well, that's what Jesus does for us. He goes to the Father and acts on our behalf. He represents our needs to the Father. Do you see, the, do you see how this works? It's important that we know this. What does he do? He acts on behalf of men in relation to God. And in this case, he offers gifts and sacrifices for sins. The Old Testament priests did that. They offered all kinds of gifts. There was a, uh, 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 like for instance, there was an offering of grain, for instance. There was an offering, of course, of an animal. Different kinds of offerings that took place. They offered it on behalf of, not themselves, but on behalf of, of who? Of men, of people. Then it says, this high priest can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. <laughs> that part I was, had to go back and look at a couple times. He deals, how does the priest deal with us? Gently. Because we're ignorant and wayward. We have, we're, we're prone to wander. How many of us know that we don't know it all? And how many of us know that we tend to wander, to wander away? We tend to wonder and wander. Guess what this high priest, guess how he deals with us? Here it says gently, another version says patiently. The high priest can deal gently or patiently with you because he also, what, is ignorant and wayward, at least in Aaron's sense the Old Testament high priest. Hey, if someone suffered a tragedy, and then, in whatever capacity that person has, had to deal with someone who dealt with the same tragedy, don't you think that that person who lived it and experienced it would be able to have compassion or identify with the person who's going through it also? That's what he's trying to say. That the person, the comfort we receive, we give because we ourselves have been comforted in our trials and difficulties. That's what the high priest's role was. Thank God he deals with us gently. We wouldn't want him to deal with us rigorously or strictly we might not survive if God were to deal with us strictly rigorously we may not make it and I would say that he would do that because he doesn't understand us 
And sometimes we have to step in, maybe it's between parents, maybe it's between friends, maybe it's between uh, a, a, a work relationship where someone has to say, hey, dude, hey, dude, hey, you don't understand them. Take it easy. Give them, give them some space. Why? Because that person that's saying that actually probably went through it too, himself or themselves or herself or itself. That's who we have as a high priest, Jesus. I know. I know, Robert. I know, Yolanda, is what he would say when you approach him. I get you, Tanya. Some of you are worrying. Is he going to say my name next? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I feel you, Sammy. What's he saying? He's saying that that priest g deals gently with us, with the ignorant and wayward, since what? He himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for the sins or those of the people. So he would offer sin, a sin offering for himself too. But that's not the case with Jesus, because Jesus is superior to Aaron. Jesus can identify with us because of what he suffered in the, his passion, because of what he suffered on the cross, what he suffered as a man when he had his ministry, when he walked the streets and, the, and, and, and through the fields of Galilee and Israel. He experienced himself in life because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God in human flesh. He abode or he tabernacled among us. And he kicked the dust with his feet like we do. As they say sometimes, put his pants on just like you do. That's, that's, who we, that's who we love and that's who loves us. Oh, God, I had all kinds of cool notes that I haven't even touched. <laughs> just going off of whatever the Lord's saying here. So think about it. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. And what he's trying to say is nobody could take this place or this position or this role except for the one appointed by God. And there was one who was appointed by God greater than Aaron and any man. And it's Jesus, his son. He chose to be our great high priest. He goes on to say, also, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest. It's an exalted position when someone stands on our behalf. But was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So who did God send to be our mediator? His own son. And what did he also send him to be? He says, to him in another place, verse 6, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I'll talk about Melchizedek another time. But he was the prince of Salem. And when Aaron had won his victory over the ten kings, he went and offered tithes to this priest called the priest of Melchizedek or the priest of Salem, which was pre-Jerusalem. 
before Jerusalem was established, but there was a place called Salem. This priest has no known beginning. That's what makes him like and Jesus like him. We don't know where he came from, but God established him as a priest in those days when Abraham was walking the earth. So then what does he say? So in the days of his flesh, so now he goes to tell us, now let's think about Jesus' ministry. How many times do we read in the Gospels that Jesus went off to pray? He told us, hey, stay here for a while or come join me in prayer. But specifically in this particular passage, he's talking about Gethsemane. Jesus prayed right before he was going to be betrayed by Judas. And it says that in his face that there came out drops of blood from the anguish and the stress of what he knew he was going to face soon. That is the, the passion of the Christ, the sufferings of Christ. And so in his days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Let me just say this and remember what Jesus actually said. He said this. In Matthew 26, 39, in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says that he, going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me the cup being the suffering that he was going to experience. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. See, that's what he's referring to. When Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, he cried out these prayers and these supplications, not only for himself, because what he was getting ready to go do was for you and me. So he's asking for strength because obviously he would say, hey, is it possible that this cup pass? In other words, is there like a plan B here? Because what I'm getting ready to go suffer is unbelievably and unimaginable the amount of torment that he would go through. But why would he do it for us? And he needed God's strength. And he was already praying because it was the only way that man could be saved by him going through and fulfilling the purpose of his coming, and that's the cross, our sacrifice. Being made perfect, in other words, the experience perfected him, not that he was already not perfect, but having gone through it, he, he had completed his ministry and his purpose. And it says, he became the source of eternal salvation. Well, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Why well, don't like Christianity because it's so exclusive. I know. That's what it says. He became the source of eternal salvation. That means there's no other source. There is no other name under heaven by which man might be saved. That's what the Bible teaches. I don't have to defend it. I just explained it. Not my words. It's the words of God in, his, in, in, in the scriptures. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So, I think it's interesting that we're going to have the Lord's Supper right now. So, let's prepare for that. 
Don't forget that he suffered in ways uh, that even the prophet Isaiah was able to see in his uh, 800 years before his birth. In Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deep grief. We turned our back on him and he looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion and crushed for our sins. That's what the cross was. The cross was where he took on himself all of what we deserved so that we could be free from that condemnation and serve him. Let's pray for the sermon and let's uh, take a moment before we take the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you again. We see that there's no joke in what Jesus came to do. It was a difficult and almost impossible task for him to go through what he went through to secure our salvation, but he did it. And he paid the price. And he's the one who cried out from the cross, it is finished, which literally means paid in full. Jesus paid the price for our sins. Jesus paid off our debt. We no longer have to try and work toward paying that off, or could we ever? We could never take upon ourselves the penalty for our sins, but he did. And we're thankful for that, Lord, as we take the Lord's Supper right now, as we transition into this uh, moment, Lord, where we're going to think about what you did for us at Calvary's Cross. We're so ever thankful. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.